Welcome to the Mandates Men's Conference 2021. The Spiritual Man. The message that you're about to listen to today is brought to you by Jesus House London. God bless you as you listen. Dr. Tony Evans is the founder and senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas. He is the founder and president of The Urban Alternative and an author of over a hundred books, booklets and Bible studies. The first African-American to earn a Doctor of Theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. He has been named as one of the 12 most effective preachers in the English-speaking world by Baylor University. Dr. Evans holds the honor of writing and publishing the first full Bible commentary and study Bible by an African-American. His radio broadcast, The Alternative with Dr. Tony Evans, can be heard on over 1,400 radio outlets daily and in more than 130 countries. Dr. Evans' sermons are also streamed and downloaded over 20 million times annually. Please welcome to Mandate 2021, Dr. Tony Evans. A man in a major university asked his class to go study the sitcom Seinfeld. Many of you watched that show when it was on the air and it was a huge success. He said, I want you to analyze why Seinfeld is so popular. The students did their study and came back with their report. When they came back with their report, they said the reason that Seinfeld is so popular is that it has no plot. It meanders from week to week, scenario to scenario, and it is plotless programming. So we've concluded as a class that the reason it is so successful is because plotless people love plotless programming. That because the audience is plotless, they can relate to the plotlessness of the programs. We're living in a day of plotless people living plotless lives watching plotless programs. We're living in a day when people have uh, surrendered meaning to convenience and have surrendered uh, purpose to existence. And this is nowhere seen as great as it is a dilemma as it is in the lives of men. The struggle of manhood today has incited chaos in every other area of our lives. The refusal or failure of males to become men as God has defined them. The inability to go beyond their plumbing to be able to define themselves 
as God defines us, has created havoc. When you look at the scope of the decline of marriages, of churches, of the climate and the culture, much of it can be tied to the absence of Adam. Men not being in their God-ordained space. Ezekiel 22:30, God says, I tried to find a man to stand in the gap so I would not have to curse the land, but I could find none. Plenty of males, but I couldn't find a man. Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1 says, They looked for a man among all the males. And they couldn't find one. Which means it is possible to be a male and not be a man. The question of the hour today is are we making our males men or are we limiting them to simply their biology? In Genesis chapter 18, we are looking at a culture in chaos, in decline, and getting ready to experience judgment, Sodom and Gomorrah. All of their problems were due to men. They were rapists. And then it talks about they were living in a context of social injustice by oppressing the poor. So you had violence and you had social oppression all of that is in Sodom and Gomorrah, the Bible says. And so God looked down and he saw the outcry, the evil decline of the culture and was preparing to judge it. In the midst of his preparation to rain down fire and brimstone on the moral and social decay that was occurring in these two cities that were the distance between Fort Worth and Dallas, he identifies a man named Abraham. And he gives the men, starting with me, but applying to all, three things that every man needs to understand, every male needs to understand, and every female needs to expect. If you're going to be God's man and experience God's involvement in your world, God created the man first because he would be the one God would be looking to first. Abraham is now in the vicinity of Sodom and Gomorrah, a decaying culture, as you and I are living in today, a decaying culture, for all three of the same reasons. And he gives him three things. Verse 19. I have chosen him. I have 
chosen him. The first thing of a man is to understand you've been drafted. You watch the NFL draft, the NBA draft. When you draft a player, it's because you got a position you want him to fill. You've got a role you want him to take up. You've got a purpose for drafting him for the improvement of your team. Every man has been created as a man, as a draftee of God, because he's got a post he wants you to fulfill and a purpose he wants you to accomplish. I have chosen him. In the midst of this decay, in the midst of this culture, I found me a man. I've selected him. And I have chosen him for a purpose. How do I know he chose him for a purpose? Because verse 17 says, shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? In other words, I'm up to something. And to do what I'm up to, I found me a man. The point is, some of the things God wants to do, he can't do because he can't find him a man. He can't at least do it the way he wants to do it because Adam is unlocatable. He's in hiding. The first thing every male needs to understand is that you have a divinely orchestrated reason for your manhood. Now, I know the culture wants to give you a whole bunch of reasons for your manhood, but God says for my manhood, your manhood, our manhood, I'm up to something God says, and that's why I chose him. So if a male is living his life never discovering what God wants out of his life, he is a misguided male. So he makes up his own rules along the way or he makes up the rules that his posse gives him or he makes up the rules that his, his, uh, the media gives him and he defines himself in all kind of errant ways because he, he, he's going and working for a team that didn't draft him. When a man accepts Jesus Christ as his personal savior, he is drafted into the purpose of God. But unfortunately, many men who even go to church don't even care to know the purpose of God. And therefore, they live distracted in the purposes of culture. Because you're living in the presence of culture or your own desires or designs or what you learned from a father that did not have God as the center of his purpose, then you're going to create errant purposes and you will be distracted from the purpose of God. It's like the man who said, I was dying to finish high school so that I could go to college. Then I was dying to finish college so I could start my career. Then I was dying to get married so I could start a family. Then I was dying for my kids to get 18 so that they could leave. Then I was dying to be able to retire, only to discover now I'm just dying. I've lived life without ever connecting it to a divine reason for being. The reason that Adam knew what he was supposed to do. It says God told Adam what he was supposed to do. He told Adam that this is the garden I want you to work in. He told Adam, he gave him specific instructions, is that Adam walked with God during the cool of the day. Before he rebelled against God, he walked with God, so God was free to tell him what he was up to. God has some plans for every man here 
but he's not free to tell you what he is up to because you're not walking with him in the cool of the day. You're just visiting him on Sunday. He says, I've got some stuff I am not going to hide from Abraham because he's been selected. He's been chosen for my purpose. So the first thing that a real man, what I call a kingdom man, has to understand is you have a divine design for God's glory and the expansion of his kingdom that includes all the other stuff we think about work for. What good is a good-looking car that won't move? What good is a brand new shiny with all the attachment cars and it's going nowhere? Because a lot of time, men are asking women to follow a parked car. We're not going nowhere. We don't know where we should be going, but we say, follow me into Never Never Land. The idea was God was going to tell Adam where to go so that by the time he gave him Eve, Adam knew where he was going. So if you're a single woman here, you want to ask the man who wants to marry you, where are you going? Because I don't want to spend 50 years having gone nowhere following you. God told Adam where he was to go so that Eve could plug into that and therefore they would be going somewhere. I have chosen you. God has a purpose. Proverbs 20 verse 5 says that in the heart of every man is a purpose, but the man must draw it out. In other words, God has already given you a reason for being in seed form, but you got to grow that. And you can only grow it in pursuit and in relationship with him. It doesn't come just because you got to have a good education or you've got a, a, a degree or you've got a business. It doesn't come just because of that. It came to Adam because he was in sync with God and it came to Abraham because he was in sync with God as a way of life, not as a visit. Far too many men are living without a divine purpose. They can talk about their career. They can talk about their, goal, their business goals. They can talk about their finance. But when you ask them what is God's purpose for you, they get quiet because they've spent all of their time in school and none of their time in the kingdom. In fact, far too many men are wearing jerseys with other men's numbers on them. Always the superstar because if, at least if I can wear somebody else's number, I can piggyback on their success. I chose you. God has your own jersey with your own number on it. If you're a man here that you've been selected and you've been called and crafted by God for a kingdom purpose and you don't want to live your life, look back on your life and never know why you lived your life. I have chosen you. But this choice involves your and my and our participation. 
It's not a passive choice where you sit down, okay, God, I'm willing to do your will. Whatever you say to me, I'm going to do. Just show me your way. Okay, all that's good starting point, but that involves your participation. Again, the purpose is already inside, but it says the wise man brings it out. So it's already there in seed form. But too many men are doing is asking their, their wives or other people to do for them what God is waiting on the man to do because he wants to know, Adam, where are you? Because God always starts with the man. Now, he'll use a woman if he can't find the man. If the man decides to give up his pants for a skirt, God will switch. But he always starts looking for the man. Now, I know that for many people, that's not politically correct. That's not culturally acceptable. Tough. That's what the scripture says. And when we are operating out of that order, chaos enters into the life, the home, and the culture. He says, I'm not going to hide from Abraham what I'm about to do because this man is operating according to my authority and in relationship with me. That's the first thing. Second thing, he says in verse 19, so that, in other words, I chose him, man, this is what I want him to do, so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord and to do righteousness and justice. The misunderstanding is that it's the woman's job to raise the children. That may come from the culture. It doesn't come from the scripture. It says, I command Abraham to raise the children and to teach them righteousness and justice. Ephesians 6.4 says, fathers raise your children. In the Bible, it is the job of the man to raise the children, not the woman. Now, I know what you're asking. Well, what's she supposed to do? I got you. And I'm going to get to that. Because she got a lot to do. We're talking about what the man should do. Because we don't want to be like Adam and say, well, the woman who you gave me. The scripture says that I chose him and I want him to raise and train and command his children after him. The reason why we've got chaos with kids is daddy can't be found. Daddy's either sired them and left them physically or emotionally. Daddy's neglected them or abused them. Thank God for all the great men where this doesn't fit this category. But far too many men spend more time training dogs than training kids. And so we wind up with a generation of unfathered fathers becoming fathers. Fathers who never know, knew fathering who are now required to father. So they have not had an example. That's why it says, I have chosen him so that he may command his children after him. So that he's setting the pace in the home. He is establishing it. Deuteronomy chapter 4 verse 9. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 9. Teach your sons and your grandsons. Why didn't he say your daughters and your granddaughters? Why does he say, why did all the sons and sons and sons uh, uh, so much in the, in the scripture? Not because the daughters weren't important, but because the sons were to be prepared to replicate the father in the families that they themselves established. So pour into the sons because in most cases, if you get the men straight, over time, the women have been built to come along. But when men refuse to be what God wants them to be, it creates havoc in the home and in the relationship. And so we're raising a generation of boys who will learn to be men just like their mothers. It is absolutely critical that men take their stand in their relationship with God in coming under God's authority. It's like the boy who, uh, the father was away on a business trip. He says, well, I'm the man of the house now. He was the youngest, but I'm the man of the house now because mama's, uh, daddy's gone. and Daddy said, I'm the, I'm the man of the house. Well, this, the sister didn't like that. She didn't like that at all. She said, you how are you going to be the man of somebody's house? You ain't but, you know, that, that big. You can't be, you, you, you are, well, that's what daddy said. Okay, well, so I'm going to do things just like daddy did it. You say, okay, man of the house, man of the house. Uh, how much is 20 and 30? He thought for a minute. Ask your mama. Because that's what daddy always said. <laughs> Ask your mama. He says, I want you to raise your kids. I want you to set the pace. I want you to establish the framework for the future because the kids represent the future. We're not in a lost, our kids are not a lost generation. They're the product of a lost generation. Of abandoned men. Men who can tell you everything about football and nothing about scripture. Men who can quote statistics but can't quote a verse. Men who would never ever miss a practice or a game but can't get their kids up to go to church. Because everything is out of whack. But at the same time, they say, I want God to do this and God to do that. You can't miss so that. I chose you so that. Because if we're going to fix the culture, he says, we can't skip the family to fix the culture. How are we going to fix the White House and you can't even control your house? And what are you to teach them? Righteousness and justice. Righteousness is your vertical standing before God. That's your walk with God. That's living to please God. Setting a spiritual standard in the home that, the, that everybody knows about. That, that, that it's not vague. This is how we roll up in here, up in here. 
As Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Everybody in your family ought to know we serve God in this house and here's how we do it. In other words, divine guidelines are established by dad. By the father, if you are a father, you set the righteous standards. This is right. This is wrong. God said so. He told me to teach you. So therefore, let's review the rules of this house because God has chosen me to set them. And then he's to teach justice. Righteousness is your obedient walk with God. Justice is your equitable treatment of man. Justice is vertical, is horizontal. Righteousness has to do with the vertical relationship. That's how you deal with people. You know, we've been dealing in the last couple of weeks the issue of race. You know why this racial problem won't go away? Because daddy hadn't fixed it with the kids. So it gets generational and it gets transferred. Kids don't come out the womb prejudiced. Kids don't come out the womb racist. Kids don't come out the womb, womb uh, rejecting people because of the color of their skin. No, some folks have trained them in that. And that started in the home. And because we didn't train our kids with Martin Luther King's statement to judge people by the content of their character and not the color of their skin, they pick up all the things they hear in the house and the things they hear in the culture and they replicate it. If you can't fix it at home, don't think you're going to fix it in the street. He says you ought to teach them justice how to be equitable, how you treat people, how you respect people, how you honor people, how you're fair to people. You teach them that. That's supposed to come in the house. And so he says that this is a responsibility of the father. And so if you, if you can make the practices, if you can talk about fantasy football, if you can talk about the stats of this team or that team, you certainly can take time out to have devotions. You certainly can take time out to have memory verses. You certainly can take time out to pray with them at bedtime. And that may mean, that may mean recording the show and looking at it later because you got to be dad first. Got to be dad and husband first. So I can't look at that show right now, but technology has set it up so I can look at it later because right now I come home from work to my second job. This is what God says. This is what God wants. And far too many men are handling, handing their children a ticket to fail. Praise God for the women who tear up the ticket but far too many are handing them a ticket to fail. How is that daughter going to know what kind of man she should marry if she doesn't see from her dad, hear from her dad, the standard to judge the men in her life? How will that boy know how to treat a woman if he sees you cussing at your wife, screaming at your wife, hollering at your wife, abusing your wife? How is he going to know how to treat her like a lady? That's dad's job. You say, you're putting a lot on us. Well, first of all, blame God, not me. Secondly of all, that's why he says he made man the stronger vessel. Because you should be able to bear more weight. 
See, the nature of a foundation is not how pretty it is, it's how much weight can it hold. Not how nice it looks. You don't go looking at foundations. You just want to know, is it solid or is it cracked? So the first thing is there is a purpose. There is a destiny for a man. There is a responsibility of discipline and discipleship for a man. And then the third thing. At the end of verse 19, he says, so that. The first so that was so that you could get your purpose. The second so that is so that God would now bring your purpose. One is for you to know it. The other is for him to bring it. Look at it, what he says. So that the Lord may bring. You see that? Bring it. Upon Abraham what I have spoken about him. See, you got men wanting God to do stuff, but he said, I can't bring that yet because you ain't doing what I told you to do. You want me to give you something bigger and you ain't handling the smaller. You get, no, I ain't bringing it yet. So then we go out there and we try to make it happen ourselves and then we mess other stuff up. He said, so that I may bring upon Abraham what I have promised to him. What had he promised Abraham? Watch this, watch this, men. You don't want to miss this. He says, verse 18, since Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and in him all the nations of the earth will be blessed. No, you didn't. He says, guess what I'm going to bring Abraham? I'm going to make him a great nation. I'm going to make him a mighty nation. In fact, through him, everybody else going to be better off. Through him, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. So let me tell all the men here something. You need your seatbelt for this one. It's okay to want to be great. In fact, you're sinning if you don't want to be great. Greatness is built in to the DNA of man. The 12 disciples came to Jesus, uh, Jesus one day and they said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? They were arguing about who's going to be greater. And Jesus then answered them in an interesting way. He says, if you want to be great. He didn't tell them don't want to be great. He said, if you want to be great, you just have to go about it the right way. See, God is not against greatness as long as that greatness is under his rule and out of relationship with him. He's not after one. See, men want to win. Men want to win. You, women, you ever just, you know, notice that? He'll never want you to win. All right? That's because it's built in. He want to win. All right? Men want to win. They want to be great. That's why they compete all the time. Because men want to win. The problem is they don't want to win God's way. They want to win their way. We want to win our way. It's okay to want to be great. He says, I'm going to make of Abraham a great and mighty nation. But guess what? I'm going to do it. Now, you know how freeing that is that God's going to bring it and I don't have to fight to get it? You know how free that is? That God is going to invade my circumstances when I'm in relationship with him, submitted to his authority, walking with him, prioritizing him, fulfilling my responsibilities to those who are in my scope of influence. And let me show you something else in chapter 17. In chapter 17, talking about fulfilling his scope of influence, it says in verse 626, in the very same day Abraham was circumcised and Ishmael his son, 
all the men of his household who were born in his house or bought with money from a foreigner were circumcised with him. So he not only took care of his kids, any man in his vicinity he affected. So the question is, what do men think when you show up? Do they see a real man or do they just see one of the crowd? Do they see somebody who's taking a stand under God or he's just another cultural icon? Does he see somebody who's buffed in the weight room but wimpy when it comes to decisions of life? He says he affected all the men in his vicinity. Not just his kids. And so God wants you to be a man of influence. He wants you to be great. Do you know when a lion roars? When a lion roars and he really wants to make a statement, that roar can be heard five miles. When a lion sucks it up and, 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 bouts, and belts it out, five miles. You know what that lion is saying? I own this. I don't, don't come up in here. I own this. This is my territory up in here, up in here. And I want to serve notice to y'all five miles away. It's my space. I own this. Jesus is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. He knows how to roar. And he's looking for some men who'll stop going meow. He's looking for some men who don't mind roaring. This is my space. This is my hood. This is my territory because it's been given to me by Almighty God and I am under his authority. It's time to roar. To be great under God, for God, to the betterment of everybody in your sphere of authority and responsibility. You don't just want to just pass through here. You want to you want to you want to make whatever mark God has for you on the world that He gives you. Now, ladies, your job is to make it easy for Him to do that. Don't work against His roar. Encourage it as long as it is a righteous roar, a godly roar. But encourage him to be all that God has created him to be using all that God has given you so he can become what God expects of him to become. And so, you know, Jesse Owens, 1936, he's in a hostile environment. He's in a hostile environment. He's in Germany. As far as Hitler and the Germans were concerned, he's a monkey running. He's a monkey running. Because that's how they looked on him and the black race as one as this superior uh, Aryan race. And so that's just a monkey running. We gonna, Hitler going to come out here and watch the monkey run. In every direction that Jesse Owens looked, there were crowds of people who were against him. But he decided to roar. So four times, he served notice on Germany. <laughs> I'm here, and you got to deal with me. 
You don't like me. You don't think much of me. You hate me. You're against me. But I come from another kingdom. I come from the United States of America, and I'm going to represent that kingdom in this chaos. And he demonstrated in the chaos of the kingdom of Germany, the greatness of the kingdom that he was from because he represented that kingdom in this chaos. Men, you belong to another kingdom. You belong to the kingdom of God. You represent the king of kings. And you may be living in a chaotic world, but your job is to roar and serve notice on this kingdom. You're from that kingdom because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Now, I know, I understand, I understand. You say, that's not where I am. I've blown it. You know, I got kids I don't know. I, I, I get kids I didn't take care of. I've been divorced. I've been on and on and on and on. What am I going to do? What am I going to do? I got that. I got that. I got yesterday doesn't look good. But when Adam blew it, God redeemed him. When Adam blew it, God cut some animals open, made some cloth of skin, and he redeemed him. So if you are serious, you're not beyond changing the rest of your story. That part of your story, you can't fix. But don't let what happened yesterday ruin your tomorrow. Become the man God wants you to be. His name was Thomas Anderson. The movie is called The Matrix. The Matrix, The Matrix Reloaded, The Matrix Revolution. Three of them. Thomas Anderson, a.k.a. Neo. Neo is a computer programmer, part-time computer hacker. But through a series of circumstances, he gets whipped away to a computer-generated reality called the Matrix. When he gets whisked away to the Matrix, he runs into a man named Morpheus. And Morpheus says, Neo, we've been waiting for you. We have been waiting for you. There is a war back here. He says there's a war between the people in Zion and the machines. And there is this war, and we have been looking for a conquering hero. We have been waiting for you, Neo, because you are the one. You are the one that we've been counting on to change the trajectory of what's happening back here in this world. He explains to him all the dynamics of this new way of thinking and living, and then he offers him a choice. He says, Neo, in this hand I have a blue pill. If you eat this blue pill, then you'll wake up in your bed tomorrow and this will only be a dream. If you eat from this blue pill, you'll just, you'll just think that this was just a thought that came across your mind and then you'll go back home to your plain old ordinary life. But in this hand, Neo, I got a red pill. If you take this red pill, you will now enter into the real world. If you take this red pill, you will enter into a life you never thought possible. If you take this red pill, you're going to have powers 
that you never dreamt of. If you take this red pill, you're going to fall in love with a woman named Trinity that you, that you could only have dreamt of. You're going to get a relationship you never dreamt of. If you take this red pill, you're going to have a problem because there's a dude up here named Mr. Smith and he can replicate himself over and over again and he's going to try to stop you. But because you took this red pill, you're going to be able to overcome Mr. Smith. So the question is, which pill do you want? Do you want to leave here and go back to your plain old ordinary manhood or do you want to leave here or stay here and get this thing done so that you become the person you were created to be? We've been waiting on you, Neo, but it's your choice what pill you take. So I want to say to all the men here today, I got two pills. In this hand, I got a blue pill. And you take this blue pill and you go home to your plain or ordinary life. You go back to your plain or ordinary job and you live your plain or ordinary way. But in this hand, I got a red pill. And if you take this red pill, you're going to find power that you did not have, ability that you did not possess, strength that you did not own, and a new relationship that you didn't think possible. Neo took the red pill. And then Norfia says, okay now, let's see how far this rabbit hole goes. So I want to see if I have some men here who'll take the red pill and who'll say, I will be God's man for God's standard, for God's glory. I will become the man of my house. I will influence my realm and be the man that God created me to be. Come on, somebody. We hope you've enjoyed this message. And for more information, please visit our website at jesushouse.org.uk and follow us at Jesus House on all social media platforms. May God bless you.